My name's Robert Walton. I'm a lecturer at the Victorian College of the Arts in the Theatre Department, and I run the Honours Programme in Theatre. And tonight, you know why we are here, because we have Melanie Jane Wolfe uh, here with us, back in artist persona. Hello, thank you. And we are very lucky to be the ones who are here this night um, to have witnessed this extraordinary performance and now to be able to hear from the horse's mouth in a different way um, or, you know, ask our own questions about things. So there's going to be time for questions. That's how it works. It's a Q&A, right? So what we do first is we spend one minute talking to the person nearest to you, maybe someone you don't know, to figure out what the right question to ask is. Okay, so we're going to have one minute now. If it's for you to talk, it's your space. So talk to the person nearest to you. One minute. Thank you. The clock is ticking. Okay, my clock says that's the minute done. So what will happen is I will ask a few questions first, because I get to, because I've got the microphone at the moment. And then it's time for your questions. And what I might do, just for the microphone, just because we are recording it and we never quite know where the recordings go, but they may one day appear on the internet. Um, or somewhere else, uh, I will just repeat the question for you if you don't mind. So, hello. Hi. My question is this. Well, first of all, it's a reminiscence. I first met you in this building. We, went, we, had, we were both doing a show here, and they were both intimate performance pieces, and we had to climb up the spiral staircase that goes up to this tower here behind the clock. Yeah, we had our photo taken. And we had a photo taken yeah. next to a giant bell. We did. And... <laughs> I don't know why we went up into that little space. Oh, it's because your performance. It was because yeah, of me. It's because of you. Yeah. <laughs> but we were both making intimate performance pieces at that time. You were making a particular performance, intimate encounter work. A one-to-one -one work. A one-to-one. Yeah. And what struck me about tonight was you've reached the holy grail now <laughs> where you, you are actually making intimate performance work for a group. Yeah, it's a one-to-one -one work for 40 people at a time. It's amazing. <laughs> so, how did you get from there, where you were working with this one to one person at a time kind of situation, which I know you're interested in, yeah. into crafting it into this group experience? Yeah, right. What's that journey? Well, because I think um, I did a lot of one-to-one -one performance works, and the one that was here that Robert is talking about was happened in the clock tower, which is now, interestingly, my dressing room <laughs> this time around, four years later. Um, and I was making these one-to-one -one works. That particular work was called An Appointment with Jay Dark, and it was 50 minutes long, which is gruelling um, for a one-to-one -one encounter. And I kept on making them, but then I, I started to become interested in what would happen if I had, if I'd made performances again for a broader audience, just for all kinds of reasons of economy and efficiency and also interest. But also because I realised that why I had this great capacity for one-to-one -one performance is because I'd been a stripper. That's what equipped me with this very particular affective thing that people found so mystical about the work, you know, or, or um, enigmatic about the work. And so with this piece in particular, I wanted to really consciously go, well, how do I make a one-to-one -one and how do I honour that stripping training and, and bring that into my biography and... and how do I you know, blow that out a little bit? So the idea is that then I thought about the number of people I would dance for, like on a Saturday night, 
and then I'd have them all in a circle, so that number. Here, it's, I think it's 28, but sometimes it's up to 40. just depends on the size of the room. Yeah. That must really change the length of the performance. Massively. Yeah. <laughs> so my next question is, why now? So we, we know from the biographical information that there was an eight-year, seven or eight-year period in your life when this was your profession. Mm -hmm. And we don't know how long it was when that ended. Yep. But for whatever reason in your life now, this is this, this subject, your arts practice and this subject, this autobiographical material yeah. and this practice, mm. have other practice have combined. Yeah. So why now? Right? To, to address this. Yeah, there's, there are a couple of reasons. One is noble and one is cynical. <laughs> um, the, I, I think the main reason is that, uh, I, so I was dancing for eight years towards the end, so in the last couple of years of dancing, I, I knew that I wanted to um, really seriously pursue making art and, and performance in particular at that time. Um, and that's seven years ago that I finished dancing. So, um, sort of just like merging one in, merging the other out. And I felt very ambiguous or ambivalent even about including stripping in my biography. Yet it, yet it was this thing that was giving me this capacity to make the works that I was making. And, and I sort of got to a point where I'd made peace with stripping for various reasons. I mean, the, my real reason why I had such an issue with stripping was because of my drug use throughout stripping. It's not really about stripping, you know, it's the drugs bottom line there's the honest answer <laughs> um uh so i wanted to I, I decided i just wanted to like end this kind of shame thing and drop the veil because i think most of it was happening in my own head as opposed to with others and i also felt that i'd reached a point in my capacity as a maker to really honor the work but not just the work but honor the women that i worked with that was really important that i make a piece that honored the women that i worked with because this is a phenomenal job that women do and it's completely unrecognized and is full of stigma and um, I just wanted to chip away at that a little bit. My cynical reason for why now is because um, my practice had reached a certain point and I'd been working with a collective for a long time um, and I knew that this work would be programmed because sex sells. So I went with it. Sex, <laughs> sex does sell, yes, that's yeah. right. But <laughs> actually, not, we don't actually see that many sexy things on stage. We don't see things that actually are so intimate or so... We might see them, we see them more on film. We see them, you know, mm. Game of Thrones. Mediated. All the time. But actually on stage, live in the flesh, mm. we don't get this level of... Sexiness. Sexiness and <laughs> actual intimacy. And if yeah. we do see, when people talk about intimate theatre, mm. they're actually talking about theatre with one other person in an enclosed room that no one yeah. gets to see. But what we actually see, what we get here is the intimacy and the observation of totally. someone in an intimate act, which yeah. is messes with your mind in a yeah. nice way. Yeah. Yeah. That's not really a question. No, it's, a, it's an interesting comment, though, but, Robert. Do you, but do we have... Um, <laughs> I mean, I think I saw... I think it was Alain Platel did a... choreographed all these different great dancers to do these this striptease. Did you see this? Mm -mm, it's I a big not. international show that toured. And it was the most unsexy thing you've ever seen. Mm. And they were all like amazing dancers. Yeah. And they created like 15 stripteases. Too much form, not enough vibe. Yeah. Not enough vibe, not enough proximity. <laughs> yeah. You know. Well, I don't know that it is proximity that makes the work intimate. I mean, sure, jumping up on people's laps is intimate. Mm. Uh, but it's, it's not 
it's not about that physical proximity. I think it's about affect. We're talking about energetic work. It's, it's, it's affective. That's where the intimacy really happens. It's much more in the gaze and in the, that, that impossible thing to explain, that like chimerical thing that's bubbling between us, you know, more than physically doing it. I mean, it's quite mechanical. You know, it's, it's, it's just a choreography that gets repeated. Yeah. Yes. So I've asked my little questions. It's now time for yours. Obviously, I could ask all night. Yes. Yeah. Uh, you're talking specifically about the lap dances that occur in the show. Yeah. Uh, well, the, yeah, the thing that happens is the other person responding to me. It's an equation. It's not my job to make you come to the party, you know? It's mm. up to you to find the way to arrive at it. So then that thing happens, you know? Because I also have to... Um, it's energetic work and I need to care for myself within doing that. And I'm not going to ram at the door of someone who's not ready energetically to create that moment. And the fact that there is that variation and that everyone in the circle witnesses that variation allows them to get an understanding of how we create judgment and shame as a community, uh, get an understanding of what it is that it's like to go through a night of stripping in terms of these different levels of engagement. It's not me being cold, it's people not turning up. Yeah. There's also this level of ex exhaustion that happens. Like by the yeah. time you get to the end of the circle and everyone claps, it's because, oh my God, it's just the physical effort involved. Yeah, but everyone wanted me to dance. Everyone I was thinking said about yes, that. you know, it's like yeah. work, mm. you know? Everyone wants their slice. Sorry, I, I, I was going to say, I always wanted to say no, but I thought, well, actually, oh no, I'll talk about it's that. But that's complicated. Yeah, it's that, very that complicated. Thing, that I think when it gets thing. to that last quarter of people and you can see them really kind of going, should I say yes or should I say no? What does yeah. she need? Yeah. What does it say about me? Because it's gone from me maybe having a lap dance for the first time in my life to me insisting that this show go longer mm. and that I get my slice of the pie, so to speak. And yeah. a, it also seems like there's um, a crescendo of the dances as well and you yeah. wonder where it's going to go next yeah and is it going to be me and should i just hit the escape button <laughs> yeah sorry i meant also to say you don't have to have a question it can be a comment or uh, something you know, that you want cool. to just get off your chest it I'm, is it I'm is just going to repeat the question okay so, sorry yeah so um oh, it was quite a, it's such a beautifully phrased it was question. a good one it was about a sense of is coming to us over a sense of shame and where she's arrived at now in retrospect. Yes, during the times of stripping, did you feel a sense of shame or did you feel happy within yourself? Yeah, I, I, I don't think it was, a, it's a, not an either or, you know, like I felt shameful and I felt ecstatic and I felt all the things that one feels across eight years of their life. But in terms of shame specifically, when I, when I started stripping, like back in the early last decade, it was a secret. It was a secret and it was an expensive choice to make because, you know, like, I, sp I spoke to my parents about it before I started, but like people would, you know, women would be dancing in the club and suddenly their dad would walk in and they'd have to go downstairs and like, wait, you know, like, and it was a secret. It's not, so, it's, it's still like, Things have changed, things have, different media machines mean that stripping has a different appearance now and we're all cool with it. 
But strippers are still the butts of a lot of jokes, especially about what people hope their daughters grow up to be or not, you know. Um, there is an imposed sense of shame. We are meant to feel shameful about it. We are meant to be secret. But, but then the other thing is, not that I want to really talk about stripping so much because the show does that, but obviously I'm going to talk about stripping, but um, is also, uh, oh, shit, what was I going to say? Shame, something. No, it's gone. There's just too many things. It'll come back in like five minutes and I'll interrupt someone and <laughs> say it. Yes. Thank you for your show. I'm wondering if you've ever created a work for a sex worker-only space or I'm also curious about what it's like to, to translate those skills to a general audience to, to make, you know, considering that this is titillating content mm. um, and, and that I imagine there would be a sense of hesitation about falling into, into traps of, like, you know, giving them what they want or, you know, what's yeah. it like? Yeah. No, I haven't made a work for a sex, sex work only space. That's not something I've done. Um, but in terms of, uh, yeah, transferring these particular skills to a general audience. Um, yeah, I was, I was really concerned with how to create a work that wouldn't, like you said, traps, and I think that's such a great way of putting it, like wouldn't fall into this thing of being a tabloid expose autobiographical piece. So I looked for the things in stripping that I'm still not resolved about and the questions that I, I st and I don't think I ever will be because it's ambiguous because it's, it's women's work. It doesn't have to be, you know. Um, and uh, yeah, I looked for the questions that I, I wasn't resolved on and I tried to universalize those. I think that's also why it's structured the way it is. It's structured as an essay, it's structured in fragments, not to legitimate anything, um, but just because then structurally there is, a, there is a distance and a consideration and a, a switching of topics and exactly this expanding and contracting, this zooming in and zooming out. It's much like the dramaturgy of a lap dance in itself. Yeah. You liked that, didn't you? Yes. <laughs> yes. You may. Um, following on from that question, I was just wondering, um, I know that you have performed a lot of your work in Europe, because I know that you live there. And I was just wondering how, what your experience has been um, doing this type of work, however you may take that type of work with sex positive work, sex worker based work, feminism essentially, mm -hmm. how, what your experience has been doing this type of work in Australia. And I know that you're from here, but maybe you haven't done this show here. And yeah, what, what your experience has been maybe with the the media and just, you know, Australia's uh, <coughs> conservatism and how, if you've had any experience with that. Yes, I have. <laughs> Please tell us about it. <laughs> well, um, yeah, I do live in Europe. That's not an imaginary place. I don't know why I put it in inverted commas. <laughs> it's a geographical fact. Um, uh, the, the reception is different in different countries. And I, I've performed it now twice in Berlin, like for return seasons. In Berlin, it's scary because all of the big scary choreographers come and sit there being very cold and judgmental. And that's a whole other anxiety. You know, it's about me and the quality of my, quality of my work as opposed to anything about stripping. I am extremely grateful to the fact or for the fact that I get to work between Australia and 
Germany and I made this show in this very room with the support of Arts House and Ang Harrod when Jones like had such belief and I couldn't really look at her without bursting into tears a lot of the time sort of when I started because it was just you know we talk about bravery and it's a complex word but it was brave programming on her part she did a really great thing to back me that said um, my experiences with the media in the first week of being here did surprise me I haven't spent a lot of time in Australia for the last 18 months you know and like I know this is being recorded or whatever, but like, you know, like it was, yeah, there's a, there was a very much uh, a tabloid sensibility to how the work could be framed or should be framed and how to sell tickets, you know, um, from lots of different quarters. And I was very surprised by that because, um, no, I was disappointed by that, I think, um, because there are other ways to talk about it. It's still interesting even if you take out this thing that I was so careful to avoid in making the work of the expose and the titillation and it doesn't need to be framed in this way. You know, it, it, it's really interesting questions around dance as labour, performance as labour, intimacy as commerce, movement vocabularies that come from work that we do, uh, affect, feminism. Like there's, you know, it's got some meat on its bones besides you know, everything you ever wanted to know about stripping. Yeah. So it was a bit disappointing, but then it's also been quite wonderful. Thank you for your question. <laughs> yes, a question at the back there. Sorry, different. This is not the question that goes to feminism. No, 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 it's curious. Was that the question? <laughs> yes, no, it's, it's, it's a... <laughs> comment, comment first and then a question, I guess. Yeah. Last night I saw Quentin Crisp uh, yeah. Personas by Paul Capsis, and there's a beautiful quote where he says, "If you could live your life without guilt, shame, or praise, are you the person you want to be?" So I guess one question is, are you becoming the person you'd like to become without guilt or judgment or shame or all the other attributes around this part of your life? Uh -huh. And then I guess in terms of feminism, which um, first time you've mentioned that in the whole performance, I guess. Um, Gloria Steinman, a very famous feminist, you may know, I'm not sure if many other people know, um, once performed as a Playboy bunny, mm -hmm. quite famously wrote an essay about that, um, and then wrote a lot about the economy of women and how they trade their sensuality and sexuality in the market of male desire. So mm -hmm. I guess that's probably a, a long question, but... I don't know that it was a question. I think it was a, a synopsis of Gloria Steinem's essay, but anyway. Right. Oh, yeah, the no, guilt no, and shame, well, yeah. The question, well, no, that, well, there was a question about the shame, but there's a question about how do you think Gloria Steinem would, would uh, interrogate your performance and view your version of feminism yeah. in what we now seem to be in a post feminist world. I mean, even Julie Bishop won't say she's a feminist. Well, that's just a neoliberal world. Really that's got nothing to do with being a woman. Well, fantastic. I yeah. really appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> um, guilt and shame. Um, and, and just Quentin Crisp, who's amazing, who was amazing. Um, guilt and shame. I, yes, I am becoming the person that I want to be, in answer to your first question. I'm quite scared. I'm a little bit uh, dubious about avoiding guilt because I've also done shitty things, you know. 
to other people that I perhaps need to address. So I don't know, well, without guilt, but definitely without shame. I think shame and guilt are very different mechanisms and are used to control us in very different ways. Um, I haven't read Gloria Steinem on being a Playboy bunny, so I can't read my work through Gloria Steinem. Um, I could only really speak about my feminism. Uh, you don't. You, you don't have to if you don't want to. Um, take another question. I think that the work speaks about my feminism. Yeah, sure. Oh, on the on the wall. Yeah. So the program notes contain um, an interview with you. They do. Um, which very articulately and clearly dissects and places the work within a critical, a feminist critical framework. No, 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 it's, no, no, it's hard That's to fine. see because they're not printed out now. So you have to look on the you web. You have to know to go to the wall. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that, but I would just like just to reflect on that a little bit much. Yeah. The, the choice of an essay, this particular moment, which is lands very, it's a clangor, it's a zinger in the space, uh, this revelation of the, well, you were sliding around the pole, I was reading books mm. moment. You know, there is an academic quality in this work. You know, there is um, an intellectual rigor at play. And, and like you said before, it's, a, it's partly to do with this very clever manipulation of time and with the very absorbing and fascinating structure that you take us through. You're always one step ahead. It's a, dram it's a seductive dramaturgy. It's a dramaturgy of stripping, potentially, like you said. But in, it, it, it's, an, it's a smart dramaturgy. There's an Thank intellectual you. quality to that. And you are choosing to place in writing um, the work in a critical framework, mm. which you also don't have to. The work can just speak for itself. Yeah. So what is that tension for you between the legitimizing quality of academic writing and seeing yourself in the canon of feminist practices yeah. and this kind of silent world, often, of yeah. the body yeah. and the work of women, as you put it earlier? Wow, that's a good question. Um, <laughs> I think, well, for me, I guess it's also because I do work as an academic, but that means that I have access to academic discourse and, and a way through it, and I'm equipped with that in a way that not everybody is and not everybody should be or should have to be. So this is why I, I feel it's important that the, weeks, the work speak for itself. The work is speaking about my lived experience, and by entering into the work, you are engaging and ex you are <laughs> a lived experience is happening to you, you know. And so it's it's a way of of embodying and encountering and thinking through and and being in feminism without needing the discourse. Because I feel, in particularly well, not particularly, but you know, when you move into an academic sphere and into a discursive academic discursive sphere, things get combative and things get adversarial and people and people get into these kind of one-upmanship games and everyone's, you know, trying to 
put a flag on the moon, so to speak, or on a space and carve out a space for themselves. And I think those things run counter to what a feminist project should be. Um, uh, and I also also feel that, you know, yes, there is the program notes where there's an interview with me uh, that I did in Berlin and people are free to read that, but also the work should speak for itself because I think that academic discourse can be exclusive of so many people and leads to all kinds of insecurity about being equipped with the language, being equipped with rhetorical skills, and that means people can't enter the discourse. And that's a terrible shame. Yeah. Now, do we have here, here? That was good, wasn't it? Um, four minutes. So we have four more minutes for questions. Yes. Thank you very much. Thank you for your show. You're welcome. Awesome. Thank you. Um, so in art history and criticism in the world, they talk about the male gaze a lot. That's a word that's like bandied around heaps. And I feel like in sex work, especially stripping something that probably you've learned to understand is a female gaze. And you don't hear much about that. You know, that's what bandied around. And I wonder what that meant to you, what effect you feel your gaze has on women and men and the world and what that, yeah, what that means to you. Yeah, I think in, this idea of the gaze, like this idea of the male gaze that came from a you know, particular Laura Mulvey and so on, and, and then this idea that, that you know, we cannot escape the male gaze, even when we think we've escaped it, we cannot. And then perhaps my female gaze is so entrenched in Western late capitalism that I can't escape the inflection of the male gaze. Yeah, but then if, you know, if there has to be a binary and if there has to be a female gaze in return or in counter to that or in uh, transformation of that, then um, that gaze comes from the emancipation of the, of the woman's body as a, as a pleasure centre with agency and with active desire. You know, kind of like the male gaze just without the money. Well, this is that fascinating moment in the show, isn't it, where you, you're looking in the mirror, you catch yourself in the mirror and you're, you see your dad. Mm. And you, you, then you see your dad, oh, you know what I mean. It goes into this kind of death loop of, <laughs> yeah, is it totally. me, is it my dad, am I dragging my dad, who's dragging who through yeah. what here? Through what, And indeed. that, in a way, is part of the answer, isn't it, of the, some of the complicated yeah. problems of this. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. And I, th I think what I'm trying to carve out a space for, and then if I'm slowly articulating my feminism through, you know, in answer to you, in, in, by answering these other questions, it's that I think that contemporary feminism has to allow for, has to demand that complication and not knowing is, is fundamental and... and important and being able to admit that you don't know something or that you're not decided is you know great things don't have to be so meh, meh, meh. I don't I don't know you know and that's okay that should be permissible because that gives us something to talk about and commune with mm. and that's a good thing that's social oh I think that's four minutes up isn't it and I think that would be the, a brilliant place to end it was a delightful end wasn't it yeah it was very good and I don't want to disrupt it in any way so Please thank, uh, join me in thanking Melanie Jane. Thank you so much. Thank you.